Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 390 is recorded live December 6, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we are certainly in winter and we know it. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well. I'm glad to be here and survive the icy roads this morning. Oh, you know it. That was uh, quite slippery this morning. I I was pulling a horse trailer into work today because I needed to haul something back home, so... Uh, I, I usually try to avoid towing trailers in the winter. Uh, this week, we have a special guest that we're going to be interviewing today. We'd like to welcome Rick Mixter to the show. How are you doing today, Rick? Oh, fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a, a journalist by trade, a videographer, and I love to scuba dive. I, I picked it up after uh, diving for the TV station and uh, covering a major shipwreck in Bay City, the largest tanker ever lost on the Great Lakes. And uh, since that time, I've been able to visit many of the most famous shipwrecks on the Great Lakes and and serve on many of the board of directors at Whitefish Point. And I'm also the president of the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association and uh, a board member and an award winner from the uh, Association for Great Lakes Maritime History, which um, awarded me for 20 years of maritime history. Um, so it's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm very... Um, humbled that I've been able to tell these stories for so long and and it's uh it's great to be able to talk to you guys today. So you mentioned that you got started you were a, a broadcaster for a TV station? I was. I was a television reporter and a videographer and a producer and we had an explosion of a tanker in our backyard and our boss wondered why we got scooped by the the other station that had a diver and I told him because they need to make me a diver and they did. <laughs> so wow. I signed away my life and uh, they paid for my training and uh the first dives I did up in Alpena uh I took a camera from our dive shop and uh won several awards to the uh, Michigan Association of Broadcasting and a couple other awards and uh, my boss was hooked and I was hooked and I just started running from there. So now it's been what, almost 30 years of uh, diving and telling stories, and, and I'm just not slowing down. I love it. Excellent. So are, are you still able to, to keep up with the broadcast, or have you gone another direction? Yeah, I left television because, um, you know, it was a lot of car crashes and a lot of sad news, and I'll be honest with you, it, it builds up, and especially when you have kids, it's hard to come home and feel like you're doing something positive. So it was maybe one scuba dive and then 500 car crashes or fires. So yeah. I left the media about 20 years ago and uh, started my own production company for 15 years. And now I, I work with a hospital. I do all of their uh, their media and all of their video work and, and do shipwrecks on the side. I had a very busy, I think, 15 different lectures in November alone, touring wow. from Toledo to, you know, basically uh, almost every state around the Great Lakes and in Canada, too. So. I'm just honored that people want to hear me talk. Now, you said you had that tanker that exploded. Was that one that anybody would recognize? 
if you mentioned it? I don't it? know. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the the Edmund Fitzgerald because of the yes. song, but the Jupiter never had a song. So, no. I, I, yeah, the Jupiter was a, a, a tanker that was uh, docked, and uh, the Buffalo, another freighter, went by, and the ship um, shifted at the dock and parted its line and caused a spark, and over a million gallons of gasoline went up, and sadly, uh, one, one crewman drowned, and the other guys were all saved thanks to an amazing Coast Guard rescue. And so, you know, it's easy to get hooked on stories like that when it happens in your backyard. And I just wanted to learn more about the big storms and the biggest ships lost and whalebacks and all the rest. And and I've just slowly built what is probably the Great Lakes' largest library of interviews of survivors and people who rescued them. So if you know a shipwreck, I probably talked to somebody who got off of it or uh, or someone that had was involved in the rescue. It's just been an amazing collection. These interviews, are they just to learn their stories, or is it part of a, a documentation effort? Oh, certainly. I, as, as a reporter, I have to tell video stories. That's what, you know, I've, I've kind of raised my videos when I was in high school. Uh, and a very rudimentary black and white, uh, three-quarter-inch uh, umatic machine. And now with digital, I, I can do video so much better. And, and GoPros and the stuff that, you know, we regularly take underwater now. Um, it's so much easier now. So video is, is how I like to tell my stories, and all those interviews are, uh, in many cases, the only examples of, you know, the guys that survived the 1913 storm, two guys from the 1940 storm, and you know, the largest shipwreck on Lake Erie. It just it it just grew and grew and grew, and um, I'm just I sit back and I wonder when did I have time to do all of that? <laughs> and where's the output of those? So you've been collecting these uh, videos. Uh, are you, have you put those into programs or are they, are, are you publishing them on a, maybe a video channel? Uh, I did, um, 30 episodes of a show called Great Lakes in Depth for PBS, which aired on, um, five different, well, actually seven different stations when you include, um, Wisconsin. So we're on the Great Lakes in the, the mid nineties. Um, it was a big series on PBS and then, um, in, into Canada. I also aired on the Vision Network and the Outdoor Channel for over a year and then uh, started to do my own DVD sales. So the my Edmund Fitzgerald Investigations is the best-selling video on the Fitz on, on Amazon. And uh, Deep Six is one of the first videos that was ever put out to tell the stories of Dennis Hale on the, on the Daniel J. Morrell, the first one to tell the story of the Cedarville survivors. The first one to tell the story of the Carl Bradley, which I was part of the expedition in 1995 when we were the first humans to dive down to the shipwreck and take a look at what was there. About what percentage of your efforts uh, would you say is underwater? Do you, is, is a lot of this research or do you actually get to do some diving? Well, you know, I'd love to be underwater for all of it, but the truth is a lot of it is spent in libraries. A lot of it's spent now on the internet. It's changed so dramatically with the the sources that are now online. So um, a very small fraction is underwater, unfortunately. And as I get older and bigger, or big, you know, more duties as now grandpa and father, <laughs> it's hard to get into the water as much as I wanted to. The good news is all my kids are divers, and we're certainly hoping that our two granddaughters will also be divers. And they're set up pretty good to do it. So I'm hoping that's going to add up to more more dives. I did spend some time this year, though, up in uh, Georgian Bay, um, we did a little bit of diving on a shipwreck that uh, is being relocated. I uh, dove on a Tuskegee airplane, uh, a Tuskegee airman that they discovered in Lake Huron. And um, I, I do get in the water, you know, quite a bit, but not as much as I wish I could. What's an example of a memorable 
shipwreck that you've dove on? Well, the easy one is uh, 1994. I, I dove 550 feet down to uh, Lake Superior's biggest shipwreck, the Edmund Fitzgerald. This was a an expedition in a submarine called the Delta. It was a little tiny yellow submarine, which I guess by by law you kind of have to be in a yellow submarine. <laughs> but we uh, we were able to to dive down um, in '94 in July to uh, not only explore the wreck, but also we were the first ones to discover a missing crewman from the Edmund Fitzgerald. So that was pretty significant. We had nearly as many headlines when we found that as we uh, as the Fitz did when it when it was lost. So that really kind of turned into um, a huge um, investigation for me. I did 20 years of searching for you know not only footage of the launch and the building of the Fitzgerald and interviews with the crew that 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 were on it people who built it um all of the people who dove it Jean-Michel Cousteau I I interviewed in Chicago they dove it in uh, 1980 so I I've kind of made that a life study but for me I mean every wreck that I I study and then I dive down to has a very special meaning to me the Novadoc lost in the gale of 1940 which you know, 126 mile an hour winds, Lake Michigan's worst storm. Um, I got two of the survivors. One was at the wheel when it went down. So as I dive that little wreck and it's only in 12 feet of water, it's uh, it's very uh, powerful to me to know that I'm I know the guys. Um, they told me their story, and then I get to touch that shipwreck. So I'd say every shipwreck has has a meaning. Even the one this summer, the skeel that we've been trying to find up off of um, Manitoulin Island. It's a uh, it's a wreck that uh, everybody I think knew was up there, but nobody knew where it was. And and I finally, through the uh, internet, managed to locate where the pieces were. And my son and I went up there over the summer and and got to spend a day, you know, kind of putzing around in the water, finding pieces of that old schooner. Do you have any wrecks that you are actively hunting for? Anything that's uh, been on your list, and you say we we just need to find this one. I'm really lucky that that um, people who have deeper pockets than me and a lot more convi- um, conviction um, are out there finding them. I, I, I've always studied about the Choctaw, and then it was just recently found. And, you know, as we, we look at the whalebacks, too, they just found another one of those in, in Lake um, Huron. So you can't keep up with people like uh, our friends that are in Minnesota looking for wrecks or Dave Trotter on Lake Huron. Those guys are are doing all the finding. For me, it's more um, my searching is more for the people that were involved in the wrecks. Uh, they're they're a very limited resource, and many of them are up in age now. And so I've you know I found the helicopter pilot that saved the crew of the Nordmere, a famous shipwreck up in uh, Alpena. I found uh, the crewman from the largest shipwreck lost in Lake Erie, which I'd challenge anybody to tell me what ship that is, but it, it's the James Reed. And uh, I found a guy that was actually on board, and and he uh, tried to rescue the cooks. There's there's you know great stories involved in all of those. So my searching is more for people and footage, and those stories that I can tell in video. Um, the shipwreck part of it, I leave it to the guys that want to throw their money into uh, gasoline and search them out <laughs> and do that. And and that's you know I think that that's a it takes an amazing amount of of patience and money and and dedication to, to, you know, spend that amount of time looking for them. So my hat's off to them. It's just not my, my flavor. Although I did spend time looking for um, another airplane up uh, near Harrisville. So I do go out and I do help to, to search, and, but that's really not where I'm really good at it. Mine's more digging for people. And, and how do you find these people? Are you looking at old uh, newspaper articles or? 
I am. Uh, the, the Internet's made that a lot easier. I mean, for me, like 1913, um, we know that the uh, during the 25th, the 50th, the 100th anniversary, newspapers will do a lot of digging and try to find people. And uh, I find them by going through the anniversaries first, or I'll, I'll go through and actually go to museums and, and make good friends with the docents that are there who are, are the people that are there, and they, they notice there's a guy staring at, you know, maybe an exhibit on a certain shipwreck, and chances are they'll be attached to it. So I, I try to, to, you know, put together all these places where I think these people will be, and, uh, and that's where I go fishing to try to find uh, a lot of that. And sometimes it's just calling up. There was an explosion at Standard Rock Lighthouse, which is the most remote lighthouse in the United States. It's in Lake Superior, 60 miles out in the middle of nowhere. And the explosion uh, hurt a guy, and nobody knew the story until I found the guy in Florida, and, and he told us the story. So it's really exciting and very rewarding to, to find these eyewitnesses to history, record them, and then be able to share it with so many other people. You've mentioned that a lot of uh, what you enjoy doing is the uh, the documentation with, with video. Uh, what was your progression? Uh, what did you get started with, with, with doing underwater photography? Boy, it started off when I was 16 years old. I, I just, you know, liked to be in front of people. I thought I was going to be a ventriloquist when I was a little kid, but I didn't find many jobs for that. Um, but by the time I was 16, I got hired at a local rock station up in uh, Marquette. So I was on the air before I even graduated high school. And then uh, I, I did a telethon and uh, just kind of as a DJ that was going to help raise money for Jerry's kids for muscular dystrophy. And the news director came in and said, hey, you should think about being on TV. And I said, all right, let's do it. And so <laughs> I, I got on television right away, and um, I figured I'd better go to college, and I ended up going to uh, Central Michigan University in, in uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and then I went to Northern Michigan University because there was more jobs for me to work at up there. I could work at TV6, work at the rock station, work as a DJ in a bar, and pay my mm -hmm. way through college. And then I just got hired into an ABC affiliate in Flint, and uh, started to build from there. So it just kind of evolved, and uh, the storytelling for me, it was great. You know, the radio part of it's awesome, but when you can add pictures and really start to influence people. I remember as a, as a kid growing up in the UP near Marquette, I would ride my bike to um, the library about 20 miles up pretty steep hills and stuff, and uh, I'd go to read shipwreck books, and it would just fascinate me about that history. Well, when I found out what I could do with the, you know, the emotional connection of doing interviews and, and doing music and stuff in a video, it's so much more powerful. And I think that that was where it really drew me in. And that's what I wanted to spend my life doing. And those first videos, I, I imagine they, you didn't have GoPros. Uh, <laughs> what was that uh, equipment like? It, you know, it's so expensive when you when you look at um, Amphibico, which has always been a great partner of mine. The, the first housing that I used, I really liked it because Amphibico was electronic connections. It didn't have physical connections. It, I could trust it a lot better underwater. And um, they made a really good deal for me. I mean, I still had to pay some money, and it was expensive. But um, the cameras were all, at that time, you know, you're shooting on, uh, on eight, um, high eight video. And uh, it just, the quality wasn't great. There was always, you know, dropouts and stuff in the video. Now to compare that to, you know, a GoPro or a 4K camera, uh, to see some of the images that are coming out, not only with a better quality underwater in the Great Lakes, but with the better resolution and more sensitive video chips, 
it's unbelievable what we can do with very little lighting. And that was the problem, you know, back in the day, especially in the, the 60s and the 70s of divers who were filming underwater, they were using film and they overlit it because they needed a lot of light. And unfortunately, you didn't get to see much at all. You know, if you saw a dead eye on a shipwreck, that was pretty amazing. Now, uh, we regularly see entire shipwrecks in one shot, and that's uh, that's pretty incredible. Did you ever have to do anything with uh, traditional film? Did you do any Super 8 or... No, the cost of that was so prohibitive. You know, I, I grew up in a trailer with uh, nine people. I never thought I'd be able to scuba dive or do anything. And, and I think I keep that same mentality even now. I'm by no means uh, uh, well off financially, but uh, I, I tend, to, tend to be pretty miserly in my purchases. I don't chase the latest gear. Uh, you know, I've got great lights and I've got a, a great housing, but my camera is, uh, I think it's five years old now. Um, there's some people who like to upgrade every minute when, you know, 5k came out now, 6k is coming out and 8k, <laughs> <laughs> you could lose all your money doing that. And I just believe, yeah. you know, I, I tell classes this too. I, I go to a lot of college classes and high school classes talking about underwater video and stuff like that. And I tell them a good storyteller could use VHS and, and tell a story. And, uh, that's what you strive for. You don't worry so much about having the latest and greatest their story is what's important, but having great crystal, crystal clear video, that's also a plus. And what, uh, some tips for that crystal clear video is it, uh, I mean, there's not a lot you can do when the, the visibility is low. No. And that's, uh, I've been working on a documentary on Lake Erie, the shipwrecks of Lake Erie for almost 12 years. And that's because that visibility, every time I go there, I end up one time I swam down to a tugboat and slammed into the wreck with my mask <laughs> before I even saw the shipwreck. So the, the visibility you know, is, is crucial for telling a story. We really can't do much when it's super low visibility and, and particles flying all over. You know, it's also horrible when everything's covered in zebra mussels too, but you know, the, the visibility in Lake Superior, Lake uh, Michigan, Lake Huron, in many parts of Lake Erie and, of course, Lake Ontario, um, there are places that have pretty good visibility. So I guess my, my point would be um, bring, you know, lights, know your equipment, hold it steady. Uh, that's the worst part is when people swim with their camera and they try to take us along on a tour. Um, many times I'll end up, you know, kicking faster than the person in front of me so I can get to a part near the wreck get my buoyancy squared away and uh, and get some nice shots of divers going by and, and whatever part of the wreck that looks photogenic to me. Um, so slow down, you know, try to get your shots, keep your buoyancy in check so you're not hanging on the wreck or, or even worse, you know, destroying or hurting the wreck, which, you know, we always try to avoid. Um, so I'd say, yeah, slow down, get your pictures. Don't worry so much about the uh, the resolution of your camera or how big your chip is or how big the gear is because uh, right now those GoPros are 900 times better than anything I've ever used. And uh, you could easily tell a fantastic story with just one of those. On the editing side of things, do you have any tips along those lines? Yeah, I mean, for most people, you don't need to have, you know, the, the latest and greatest. You know, when we started out, a lot of people all felt that they, you know, had to buy these uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. The truth is now most of the Apple computers come with uh, iMovie, and you should be able to tell a pretty good story with just using iMovie. It gives you audio tracks so you can put music and narration and, uh, you know, all the interviews you might want to put together. Um, I use Premiere, and it's just because the cost is better. 
um, but I've used a couple of editing programs. They're all basically the same now. Um, it's just more of the, the graphics and stuff like that. You get a little more potential if you use the Adobe products because you can use, you know, Adobe After Effects and stuff like that to do some some pretty cool things. And there's people that are, are working more into 3D graphics too, which really help when you try to tell a story. But the, the most important part is to, you know, not be boring, to, to tell a story that, you know, the things that interest you are probably interesting to your audience. I go to a lot of dive shows and watch videos, and uh, many times they spend way too much time showing me how they hook up their regulators. That's not really important to me. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I would much rather watch, you know, them talk about the wreck and put it into context for me on why that's important. And uh, not many people do that, unfortunately. I, th- I think a lot of them see what the old, you know, videos were like back in the day and, and how they think it should be at a dive show, and we get a lot of the same thing. But I'm also very impressed on some of the new, you know, youngsters, if I may, that are coming up, too. There's some fantastic uh, picture-taking that's going on, and, and I'm always impressed with the people who have a fantastic story to share. Yeah, with a, with a lower barrier to entry, it, it seems like it's, it shouldn't be quite as intimidating to some of the new. No, and I don't think so. And, and you know, it, again, I think in, a, in six feet of water, you could tell a fantastic story. It's wonderful if you can dive the Carl Bradley in 360 feet of water and light it up with some big lights. And uh, I've seen some amazing footage. I mean, just breathtaking video that's come off of that wreck. But the truth is with, you know, with a, a simple camera and a shallow wreck, there's some neat things that you can you can tell. It might be the wildlife that's on the on the wreck. It might be just some of the, the unique construction of the shipwreck. There's a story there, and and the job is for the storyteller to try to figure out you know what would interest the audience, and that's what you know. I've I've been lucky. I, I I've been able to kind of tie into what interests me seems to interest uh, especially my viewers. I believe my my video on uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald on. YouTube has over 2 million hits. So we know that there's interest in this. Uh, we do concerts around the Great Lakes called Storm. It's a two-hour show, and we've sold out shows. You know, we've never had less than 100 people in the audience. And then this whole November, um, every talk I did, we had sold-out audiences to to come and hear stories about it. And it's not about me. They want to hear about these underwater adventures. They want to know more about these things where a lot of people come up to me and say, I'll never be able to go underwater. And the truth is, yes, you can. You know, I've dove with people that are 70 years old. I've dove with young ladies and, and older guys and kids. And quite frankly, most of them are better divers than I am. And uh, <laughs> I just really want to encourage people that, you know, diving is so fantastic. Uh, where else can you be completely weightless and explore these amazing places underwater that very few people get to see? But for them to look at me like I'm some kind of Mike Nelson from Sea Hunt, that's not that's not true at all. There's a lot of lady divers that are a hundred times the diver that I'll ever be, and uh, I'm I'm in awe of them. So I, I hope that they see that and they realize that none of this stuff is off limits. It, it just takes a little bit of getting used to and some good training so that you do it safely. Now you'd mentioned that you spent 12 years trying to get footage for that documentary. How many projects do you have going at at any one moment? Probably 15. (laughs) I'm even working on my first podcast that's all about uh, the 1872 storm. And and you think, how how are you going to do that? You know, and by working with musicians and and kind of pulling together some interviews and some things that I've done, um, I'm trying to tap into that collection to maybe see a little bit bigger audience. It was wonderful to be on PBS. It it was great. I I was actually uh, on a couple of shows on the Discovery and History Channel. 
Um, those are great, but I think that the outreach is even bigger if we can get into these, you know, these podcasts where millions of people can can dial in if we get the right audience for it. So, you know, being very encouraged by Scuba Obsessed, you, you you see these things and you say, wow, this is a real potential to get a, you know, to get these stories out to some more people, hopefully and get some new divers out of it. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's, that's kind of the premise that we had is just to introduce people, uh, educate them a little bit uh do you have a name for the podcast yet or is it still a working process oh it's it's just in fact yesterday i i worked on it i had my musicians cut a track and i've always joked on facebook um that my stories are mixteries you know my name's (laughs) mixter so i do mixed stories and uh, I, I talked to some marketers at our hospital just the other day, and I told them I wanted to call it Reskin, or Rex and Rescues. And they said, no, 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 we like your mixteries thing. So I really think I'm going to call it Great Lakes Mixteries just to kind of tie it all together. We'll see. If, if it works, that'd be awesome. Um, we hope to get it done. The, the first story is pretty cool. Um, we've got a couple of mix downs on some of the music that we want to fix, and that by, I would think by next week we should be able to have something that uh, – that we can share because I'd, I'd certainly love to, to have people take a listen to it and hear more about the adventures we do. And of course the amazing underwater um, archives that we have underwater. Is this going to be a, a serial type of format where you're going to divide it up into sections or is it going to, you know, each episode might cover a complete topic? Yeah, we would like to keep it to, to one topic per show. The truth is, you know, with a topic like the Edmund Fitzgerald, you know, I've got so much stuff um, so many interviews that I'd probably break that up into pieces of, you know, the different expeditions that were there, the building of the ship and, and some of the lore. But for the most part, I think we can keep it down. You know, I've worked in television news where you get one minute to tell the entire story. And I've learned very quickly that you don't need to drone on. You know, there's a lot of uh, things we can do quickly. So I'd love to do a 18-minute show I think we could cover a lot of stuff. People could get to know me a little bit better and, and know certainly the history, which I think is so much more important than anything that, that they want to learn about me. But these stories are amazing. I, that's why I watched you know the, these uh, Hollywood blockbusters, and I think they, they have to blow up the story. The truth is we have so many amazing stories on the Great Lakes that don't need that kind of you know embellishment. They're just amazing rescues and, and stories of survival, like Dennis Hale on the, on the Morel. You know, two nights in his underwear and a life jacket um, and a peacoat, that, that's amazing. And yeah. I think people will be just as captivated. Yes, I, I agree. Back on the shipwrecks, is there a particular shipwreck you haven't dove yet that that's on your bucket list? There's a bunch of them. I, I bet you there's 4,800 uh, <laughs> of the wrecks. that I, I've only seen maybe 150 shipwrecks in, in the Great Lakes and some in the ocean. Uh, most of the ocean ones are ones that were built on the Great Lakes, and they've they've gone to the ocean, and I've followed them up, like the Coast Guard Cutter Hollyhock and such. Um, there's always my, my magic list. The big one was always Titanic. You know, I had an opportunity for like $18,000 to go dive it when the Russians went down there, and um, actually had a friend from Flint that actually dove it. And uh, I just didn't have the wherewithal to try to convince my queen and, and uh, the family that <laughs> we should be able to go dive. She wasn't real hip on me taking $18,000 out of our bank yeah. account. But, you know, that one would be fantastic. The Andrea Doria would be fantastic. On the Great Lakes, there's there's so many um, that they keep finding. The largest shipwreck in uh um, in Lake Ontario would be incredible. The, the War of 1812 ships would be amazing to see those. 
Um, and there's still a lot of targets that um, I haven't dove the, the morel. I, all the stuff I've done on the on the video, I, I put it into um, two different videos, Deep Six and Final Run, and uh, I never dove it. I even put it in, a, I, I published Dennis Hale's book for him. And so it, I, it would be amazing to go down there and see that wreck. It's just right at that depth level that is uh, right around 200 feet that I, I can't hit. I, 165 is my my depth on air. I, I'm not uh, mixed gas, so that's about my limit. Uh, is that mixed gas something that you'd be interested in getting into someday? Or I don't think so. You know, there's so many people that do it so well, and quite frankly, I I like breathing stuff that uh, I don't have to mix myself or worry about a computer figuring that out. Um, I think with the new ROV technology that I can spend a lot more time with and safer with an ROV. I really got spoiled um, being on the expeditions to the Bradley and the Fitz where we use Delta as a submersible where you just shut the door, the pressure is equalized, you never have to worry about decompression. I never got cold. You know, you think about those divers that dove the Fitzgerald and had a four-hour decompression. I just jumped up and uh, opened up the hatch and, and ate a sandwich. So <laughs> that, that to me would be much, much better than to uh, uh, have to hang on a line in Lake Superior. So. Um, I, I don't have that need to, to go super deep and to touch things. Um, I would love to just take a robot down there and spend all kinds of time. And, and that's what I would like to do, especially as we, we search for, you know, the, the French minesweepers, um, that were lost up in Lake Superior or the Steinbrenner, you know, one of the big freighters off of Isle Royal. There's a couple of, um, big ones that we're going to eventually find. And, uh, the Carruthers being a, a huge target in Lake Huron, that would be great. 550 feet long, lost in 1913, and we can't find it. And as soon as that's found, I bet you it's probably in deep water. Um, that would be another one that would be a fantastic robot dive. Uh, do you have an ROV that you're using? I don't. Again, that's the one that I've got to convince uh, uh, Her Majesty, my wife, to, <laughs> that, that I should get. Um, and we just don't have the financing. You know, so much of what yep. we do is shoestring. And, you know, I've got to justify, um, everything I do. I'm, I'm a pilot. I fly airplanes, but I haven't flown in a while because, you know, my daughter went to medical school and we've got grandbabies now and, and the money goes to other locations. So I'm one of those guys. I'm still that miserly youper that, uh, <laughs> doesn't want to throw a lot of money out, but the price is getting so good on the ROVs now. And I get to work with, um, universities and I, in the state of Michigan too. So, you know, in many cases, um, some of that stuff can be provided. It's just, again, you know, it's got to be a real special circumstance before someone's going to lay down that kind of cash. Yeah, yeah. We've been eyeballing some of these open source or, you know, home-built models. You're starting to see them. There's Kickstarters, it seems like, every other week with the new ROV out. It's cool, especially as you look at the autonomous ones. You know, you get rid of that giant wire, and all of a sudden now you don't have to worry about you know, where you're bringing it and stuff like that. That's one of the major hangups with those is that it gets tangled or, you know, it's too much weight, so you can't go to certain depths. So there's definitely, you know, some, some neat things happening where if we can keep somehow connected to know where that's diving, it's real hard to do videography if you don't have a monitor. So um, as that gets better, and I'm sure it will, um, that would be fantastic to be able to, to set up my shots underwater and even use other ROVs for lighting. 
When they lit the, the Fitzgerald, oh, yes. you know, for the bell recovery, they used an entire submarine just for lighting. That would be a luxury, and I just don't ever <laughs> foresee it. <laughs> they just got to find a big benefactor. That's what we talk about here in the shows. Uh, you know, there's got to be a billionaire somewhere who, who is interested <laughs> in this. It's surprising. Look what they're doing with SpaceX. You you hope that well, and we do we do see you know ocean dives with some of the, the our billionaires that are are super mm-hmm. interested in it. So you know, I hope that we see it on the Great Lakes too. There there are so many great stories out here, and uh, we'll keep you know preserving the stories themselves, the finding of the wrecks and stuff. Hopefully that'll start to coincide so we can start to record them before you know they really fall apart. You know, finding the Griffin would be amazing if we could uh, come up with that, because that's another one that, you know, what a great uh, find that would be. Yeah, well, I I keep thinking that they've already found it because it seems like there's a news announcement every other week. (laughs) I have an entire lecture that goes through all of the different people who found it, and um, uh, from Manitoulin all the way to Frankfurt, and... uh, it's amazing uh, that that's a great story, and the fact that, it, that people have been saying they found it since literally the 1930s, and uh, it's just a really cool story. And when we do eventually find it, and we will, I mean, there's cannons down there that I'm sure we're going to locate, and yes. uh, we know what they'll look like because they found a, a vessel that LaSalle, the guy who was a uh, financier and the uh, leader of the expedition on the Griffin, he actually sailed on another ship called LaBelle, and they found it off of. Uh, off of Texas. So we know what we'll find. We, we know what the cannons will look like. We even know what the ship will look like. So it's, uh, it, it's just a matter of time before uh, someone, you know, digs it up. And it, it might be buried in the sand, but my, my guess is with good technology, we'll eventually find something. Yeah, we just need one of those uh, autonomous ROVs with a good magnetometer behind it. and <laughs> Let it search just... while we uh, go to sleep, drink coffee. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> Hopefully. Mac, do you have any questions you think that I've missed that you'd like to cover? Oh, I've just been sitting back here enjoying the whole darn thing. <laughs> well, when I heard being, him say... Being, being he, very envious, of course. Yeah. Well, I, I heard pilot in there, so I figured you'd have something on that. Well, no, I thought uh, the interesting part where he said uh, even Dover Divers over 70, well, <laughs> welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious, what do you fly? Oh, just little Cessnas, but I'm going to make you totally jealous. When I was in the media, I was actually able to fly the uh, F-16s with the Thunderbirds. I've I've got over 100 hours flying in B-52s. I've been on B-17s. I've actually uh, taken taken control in Russian Sukhois, uh, flew with the Red Baron Squadron a bunch of times, the Goodyear Blimp. So I've been really lucky to to be in different uh, different situations. I flew over the North Sea in a B fifty two. Actually, uh, actually got to fly for over an hour, and then we bombed the Netherlands. <laughs> so it's been an amazing <laughs> career, and, and only something I think that um, that you know a journalist can get that kind of access. And I thought it would all end when I quit TV, but the truth is, I you know, I got to fly the Coast Guard and actually uh, flew in a Delphine helicopter, and they lowered me down into the water with my underwater camera. Um, so the, the adventures still continue, uh, diving for the Tuskegee uh, Airmen's airplanes that have been lost. Um, they were all based in, in the Selfridge Air Force Base and also worked out of Oscoda. And um, there's a couple of guys that were lost out there, and those planes are out there. So we're we're constantly being uh, not only diving but uh, aviation. My company is actually called Airworthy Productions, so you can tell where the, the connection is with those airplanes. Well, like everybody else, I'm very envious of the opportunities 
that you've availed yourself of. I'm thrilled to be able to do it, and I'll tell you the best part is that I bring a camera every time I go. So I'm not the only one that gets to take the seat. I think everybody gets to come along with me, and uh, it, it's it's awesome to be able to share that on YouTube and on different documentaries and different programs and uh, and to talk to other pilots. Um, it's just there's so many stories out there to be told, and I, I encourage people, especially at the dive shows, you know, let's find more people that will do this. You're not going to get rich. But the opportunities are there. The, the fantastic um, uh, adventures that await um, are are beyond what I could have ever fathomed as a as a young kid growing up in the UP. Um, I just never thought this would happen, and, and I'm by no means anything special. I'm just a lucky guy with a smile that people like to be around, and and that means that I got a lot of opportunities because of that. So I try to tell other people that's that's all you need. You know, study hard and and learn and and try to be friendly and. Um, usually those opportunities will come knocking. You just have to be smart enough to to strap on the tanks or put on your flight suit and go do it. So you mentioned the podcast of your other picks we made out here. Yeah, we're working on that Tuskegee Airmen um, part. They they just brought up the door from a P-39 Era Cobra that was crashed, and um, that's being conserved. So I'll go up there and film that at Alpena as, they, as NOAA works on uh, conserving that. That'll be donated to a museum, the Tuskegee Airmen Museum that's in Detroit. So I'll, I'm working on a documentary for that. I'm working on that, that Lake Erie project that uh, as soon as I get some fantastic visibility on the Admiral and the Cleveco, um, those are two um, just terrifying stories that were connected um, just around World War II. And um, if I can get that and a couple other wrecks um, off of uh, the far eastern end, of Lake Erie. I'd love to complete that. Um, it's just a matter of, of time. And then the skiel project, I actually have the complete voyage in photographs of the skiel before it sank. And now we finally located where we think it is. And I found all kinds of amazing parts, the masthead and um, lots and lots of, uh, of cable and um, pieces of ship that we, you know, we know are from the skiel, including the, uh, the housers. So we know where it's at. We just have to find the main bulk of the shipwreck. And then we'll turn that into a project as well. And, and each one of those will either be a podcast, it'll probably be a lecture, as I, I do probably 40 of those around the Great Lakes um, every year, or it could become a documentary. So there's many different opportunities and, and ways for me to showcase those and to share them. And sometimes it might just be a quick mention on Facebook. I just love to keep diving. I love to keep sharing it with people and hopefully will, A, inspire more people, B, and and really educate people about the importance of our history and and why we should protect these things. And and, uh, C, just keep having adventures because they're fun. So if somebody wants to keep track of what you're working on, what would be the best way to do that? The best way is probably through lakefury.com, L-A-K-E-F-U-R-Y.com. Um, that has my tour schedule on there. I try to keep it up to date. Um, people can can follow along at um, Facebook and backslash um, Storm for our concert, our two-hour concert. We've got two of them scheduled already. Um, one's at the Michigan Lighthouse Festival, which will be in Port Huron this year in August. I think August 3rd. There's another one in July in Algonac, Michigan. And we'll probably do three more of those, probably one in uh, Marine City and a couple others. We'd really like to build, you know, bring that show to Cleveland. Um, We'd love to do it in Milwaukee because each show is custom tailored to that area. So if we do Milwaukee, we'll share dive footage that I've done on the Prince uh, Willem. We'll do the the car ferry Milwaukee. There's so many dives. I've I've visited every corner of, of the upper Great Lakes 
from Lake Erie all the way out to uh, the farthest corner of, of Lake Superior. And uh, I've got lots and lots of different shipwrecks and interviews to, to showcase. And it's neat to bring them into those, those local cities and, and customize the show right for them. That sounds amazing. We really love doing it. And to have Dan Hall, I mean, he provides a soundtrack. He's been on almost all of my documentaries. Um, they custom tailor all of their songs based on my eyewitness interviews of survivors and rescuers. And that's turned into three CDs worth now of of music that he goes around and sings. So it's such a cool symbiosis that we get to tie the music and, and all of the, the lectures and have a big screen underwater you know, dive that all 300 people in the audience can go swimming with us. So it's a really cool way to show um, shipwrecks, and we don't think it's ever been done before. And we've been doing it now. I think we've done 16 storms. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. And we've got another show called Rescue that um, we just debuted in uh, in Marine City. So um, there's it's pretty cool to be able to share that with people. Is, is there anything else we think we missed? I don't think so. Just my my uh, my gratitude to you guys to to provide you know this this kind of a, a dive forum online and to dedicate it to the Great Lakes. So you just don't see that if if you go and type in you know Great Lakes and shipwrecks, you might get a story on the Edmund Fitzgerald or you might get a story on the Christmas tree ship, but very rarely will you see anything else. And and I'm just thrilled to see that what what you're sharing with people and and show, you know showcasing that. This is a fantastic sport. This is something that, you know, in the Great Lakes, yeah, it's a little bit cold, but uh, we've got equipment that can can make that better, and it's worth it. When you look at our shipwrecks and when you look at the the creatures that are down below, um, the Great Lakes are are totally worth it, and and I'm just your biggest supporter. Excellent. I appreciate that. And we couldn't agree with you. We're always amazed that people don't know how great scuba diving is, especially lakes, and that's one of our mittens as they pull out there. Uh, we talk about down the road all these cars with the with a scuba license I'm, i don't see many of these people out in the ground <laughs> with us it, it's kind of sad i mean i've been to the, the dive show in chicago a couple of times and people walk by and they look at my dvds and go oh that's cold water and i just look and shake my head and say you don't know what you're missing i mean i i love diving in the caribbean i love diving you know in the ocean off of florida um there's neat things to see there and and sharks and everything else but the truth is the Great Lakes are are very unique, and uh, I think the people who've been here definitely know that. We just have to get the word out because I need to have more dive shops. You know, I, I'm I just cannot have one dive shop and where I'm going to get my air. I need a bunch of them around the Great Lakes so I can get fills and get my equipment maintained. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is by getting the word out about how great of a sport it is and why it's so great to dive in the Great Lakes. Exactly. I always get nervous because it's. I, I checked. I can't order an air fizz on. I have to go into a dive shop. So uh, if we're not supporting these dive shops, uh... definitely. I think that you you know most of these shops too are getting more and more savvy. You know, you they can't beat up on the prices that are online. And I think you know people get swayed by that. But the truth is, you know, you can't get a repair that way. You know, you have to have these these shops you know nearby. Yes. and uh, that's why they'll get my undying support. And uh, even when people say, well, your Rick Mixter will just give you a free air fill. I'm like, no, let me buy it. I mean, I, I need to make sure you're going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> I've just yeah. seen too many of them vanish. So, you know, it's great to be able to, 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 to support them. And I do what I can. Provided they can survive the Amazon effect long enough back. Cause you just can't, like you said, the service 
You bet. And uh, charters too. I mean, the the, the dive oh, yes. shop is the best place to to say, let's go dive Tobomore. Let's go dive, you know, Alpino or Munising. These fantastic places that you know you need a bunch of divers to really make it cost effective. And you know, there's some people that uh, that really put together a really cool charter. It's about you know being on a boat with somebody friendly, and and the dive shop is the best place to get that. Do you ever get down in the uh, south side of Lake Michigan and do any diving down here? I haven't had a chance to get, uh, the, now that they've sunk the Straits of uh, Mackinac and uh, I think another one in Chicago, I would love to go dive that. The farthest I've been is South Haven. I did um, all of Michigan's preserves for my Great Lakes In-Depth show, so I've been okay. able to dive all those. But um, so, which, which area are you guys based out of? Uh, we're, we're actually just a little south of South Haven. Uh, you know, both Mac and I do quite a bit of the preserve, Southwest Michigan Preserve. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Probably South Haven, what did you do? Uh, the Havana, uh, the Ann Arbor? I actually was on the um, Rockaway and the okay. Verano, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. I, we saw a couple, and then, of course, as you go north to uh, um, the next preserve up, you get uh, everything off of Muskegon, the Salver, the Court, um, the Minch, the Novadoc. Um, so all of those I've, I've had a chance to, to dive. Michigan's preserves are unmatched in the Great Lakes. I mean, for our wrecks, it's, it's an amazing diversity, and I hope that everybody will do the same thing. Go, go check out Marquette's Preserve. You know, go check out Isle Royal, for my money, is, is just unbelievable. Um, and Munising, it, it's just a, a great shipwrecks and reasonable depths. Um, and Tobomori is fun, too. I really like Ontario. Yeah, well, excellent. Thank you for coming the show welcome to stay as uh this up so need to Aaron uh, or help range uh we we all get you know none of us can do the full-time occupation so any help we'll get really appreciate you bet well mac uh understand that you had a story for this week uh what we're going to talk about tonight is it's called one diver too many and as I read through it, think of the aspect as, could that be me or could that happen to me or could I make that happen to somebody else? All right, this is back from 210 or 2010. It was a great day on the lake. Scott went for a short dive off his boat and then returned to the surface and explained to Joy how the equipment worked. Joy was nervous as he took Scott's dive gear from him and put it on and he was sort of excited too. He loved the feeling of breathing underwater for the first time. He hesitated for a second when he first put his face in the water, but then he relaxed and slowly moved away from the boat. All the gear had him feeling awkward and ungainly, but he knew he could get used to it. As he began his descent, he was beginning to enjoy himself and was already imagining himself going diving with Scott all around the world. And then he kicked his feet and nothing happened. He looked down and saw one of his fins falling away. He then began clawing his way to the surface. So now we back up and let's talk about the divers. Joey and Scott had been friends since childhood and loved hanging out together. Jobs and work had taken them in different directions, but they got together in the summer whenever they could. Scott had learned to dive on vacation and loved it. Bought a full set of gear and he kept it on his own personal boat on the lake. Scott was a swimmer, very confident, but Joey was always a little nervous around the water. Still, he allowed Scott to talk him into going diving just to get the feel for breathing underwater. Scott was hoping his best friend would get certified and then they could dive together too. 
That way they would always have each other as dive buddies. The dive. Scott donned his dive equipment, explained each piece to his friend as he put it on, told him how the regulator worked, how to clear his ears. From there, he jumped into the water, swam around near the surface so Joey could watch him. Now, Joey hadn't taken a training course. He wasn't a very strong swimmer, and he really wasn't comfortable in the water. But he trusted his friend, and after watching Scott from the boat, he felt he could do it. Joey and Scott were about the same size. The water was warm, so Joey simply strapped on Scott's PC and the integrated weights, took his mask and fins, and swam across and away from the boat. At first, he stayed close, but then he slowly began swimming along the rock wall where they were anchored. Scott had taught Joey how to clear his ears, and Joey was getting comfortable with the new feeling as he dropped down to about 20 feet. Now the accident. Joey was doing fine, moving through the water slowly. Since he had never learned how to swim properly with fins, he was using his hands as much as he used his legs to move around. He was starting to breathe hard from the exertion, but he didn't realize that he wasn't supposed to feel that way. He noticed he wasn't moving smoothly as his friend had, and he knew that would come with time and practice. When the fin strap slipped off Joey's foot and the fin floated away, he didn't notice it at first. After a moment, he realized he wasn't moving through the water, then looked down and realized his fin was gone. He panicked, not knowing what to do. He could only think that he needed to get back to the boat. Scott could help. Clawed his way to the surface, immediately dropped the regulator from his mouth and screamed, to Scott for help. He was about 20 yards away from the boat, and it took Scott a moment to realize what was happening. Joey had no idea how to make himself positively buoyant and sank underwater. This time, he didn't have the regulator in his mouth. Panic set in as he suddenly couldn't breathe or swim. Scott didn't have any gear, not even a pair of extra mask or fins. He jumped into the water, but by the time he reached the spot where his friend had surfaced, Joey was gone, and Scott didn't have any way to find him. Scott swam around for a few minutes looking, but then remembered that the lake dropped off more than a 100 feet from where they were anchored. When Scott got back on the boat, he had no way to call for help, so he had to flag down another boater and wait for the boater to bring shore to call for help. It took nearly an hour for help to arrive. The Analysis This type of accident is rare, but it does happen. A diver persuades a friend to try diving but the untrained diver has no idea how to handle a problem underwater. In this case, Joey could have made himself positively buoyant for his using his VC and ditched his weight so he could relax on the surface. If he had been trained, he wouldn't have dropped his regulator when he hit the surface, or at least he would have known how to find it when he slid back underwater. At any point, basic scuba training would probably have taken over and kept Joey from drowning. If they had had two sets of dive gear, Scott would have been beside Joey all along and helped him out, calming him, helping him to the surface. He would have also been able to find Joey after he descended below the surface. In short, Joey had no business being in the water. He was untrained, had nobody to dive with, and there was no emergency backup should trouble, trouble arise as it did. Scott wasn't a trained, was not trained as a dive instructor and never should have taken his friend diving. Worse, he actually didn't take his friend diving. Rather, he gave him the tools to go diving by himself. The last mistake Scott made was not having an emergency plan and a way to call for help. Divers make dives every day from private boats on lakes and in the ocean, and having a marine radio to call for help and knowing how to use it should be part of every emergency plan. 
Divers who aren't prepared for an emergency lose valuable time that could be spent searching for a missing diver. Lessons for life. Seek professional training before attempting to dive. Do not take untrained divers diving with your gear unless you both have gear and unless you are trained as an instructor. Do not make solo dives without the proper training and experience. And always have an emergency assistance plan in case a diver from your boat gets in trouble. And this is what I meant. How close have we come to doing that? And, you know, had one of our friends do something like that. Generally, I know that we do that. And it's generally in a swimming pool where they can stand up. Or it's generally in a sandy beach area. But what if it isn't? Yeah, I I, I know what you're talking about. Well, do you know anybody who's uh, been getting the water in the I think the, the major dive that was done last week was back over at Lake 16. Uh, they had a number of divers. Uh, Jim was out, actually out there also. I think he did a dive, but he also got the Zodiac out and oh, nice. was practicing using a side scan and the new device they're using for the uh, recovery. Excellent. So he got some practice out there because you got to really get um, you got to use it to learn how to use it correctly. Yeah, uh, I think Bob and I'm trying to remember who dive partner was the other day. They yeah. went down. It's one of those aspects, you know, at 80 feet, it gets pretty chilly down there. Okay. And uh, I think one of them burped the suit a little bit. The arm valve didn't shut off. So by the time he got back, he had a frozen left arm. Oh, yeah. Um, most of them were wearing electric suits, nah. which is really the only way to go. <laughs> but uh, all in all, I think they said the visibility uh, was approximately 15 feet down at the 80-foot mark. And uh, everybody who went in, Came out. Always a Excellent. successful day. That's the way we like So, took his uh, out in Lake 16? Lake 16, correct. Well, you know what it looks like underwater because you've dove it. And yeah. by being able to then scan the same areas you've dove, you can put that relationship of the, you know, what you're seeing to what you actually know it is. And that'll give you a reference when you're doing somewhere else and you see something similar to your object you've got a better understanding of what it is. I'm sure that snowmobile doesn't look the same on a second as what it water. Yeah. After a while, though, we, you know, when you're reading and interpreting what you're looking at with your charts and your graphs, and your pictorials, after a while, you can make that picture look what, you, you know, it looks like what you want it to look like. <laughs> yes. And we've had experience with, yeah. well, that looks like a 1958 Chevy Impel upside down with the trunk. And you get down there, and it's a submerged gang box with the lid open. Well, I really enjoyed our speaker tonight. This was outstanding. It's yes. interesting listening to some of those since you've dove. Well, a lot of us have dove many of those wrecks you talked about and been to that. Yeah. If he comes down this way, we can get him out there on the ones down around the uh, Michigan City. They're really, oh, the, the, yeah. the shallow ones. So, I mean, you're talking 30 feet on the Marshall. And they the and, and the block wall itself, those would be oh, fun. Plenty, plenty to do. Well, let's see. Do we anything we want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I don't really have anything today. I know that uh, for the Mud Club, we're still looking for a host for our uh, New Year's gathering and midnight dive. Uh, I know a good number of people are not going to be available this year. Several are going to be diving up north or skiing. Uh, several are going over to the 
uh, Gabor Quarry and do the day dive on January 1st. Uh, we okay. used to do both the night and then go north and do the, uh-huh. the daytime. But uh, hopefully we're going to be able to get uh, somebody to host, and then we'll make sure we get our New Year's dive in again this year. Mac? I'm ready. I'm sitting here all ears. See it. I- They'll know to talk to her. And it's true. Absolutely true. <laughs> I, I'm not too far. Until next, turn get what? And stay safe. curious to see what your uh, before editing sounds like. You were choppy the last three, four minutes. Uh, when it does that, hopefully it's uh, be too bad. Screw up. Ah. <laughs>